A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode in a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic show. I'm MC, and I'm here with... This is Andy. And this is David. Hi, this is Jan. And I'm Logan. So, um... Uh, we're into the second season now, and the second season is much bigger than the first season, so we felt we needed to get some more people onto this podcast. So, uh, Jan and Logan, uh, how about you take a couple minutes to introduce yourselves to our wonderful audience? Okay, hi, I'm Jan. I have been a Buffy fan for, I want to say, 17 years. I actually got into the show late, so I can talk about that a little bit if MC wants. Um, I actually try to watch it when it first started and i'd seen the movie loved the movie expected the show to be like the movie it wasn't kind of got sidetracked and then uh several years later i had a friend who was obsessed with willow and oz i guess that's a spoiler um and the fallout thereof and in order to figure out what she was talking about i actually started watching the show um i got into it when fx first started their rerun so i was watching first season and also season six which just started on uh, upn concurrently so I kind of was, it was a weird kind of timey-wimey thing, and um, I've learned to love it, and so I'm a Buffy fan. Um, I started, I've, I've been watching Buffy for about 18 years. I, over winter break, when I was in, sorry y'all, elementary school, <laughs> I caught the movie on HBO, and I remember seeing it because I had, I had been watching Dawson's Creek, which maybe was inappropriate for a 10-year-old, but... Um, I started watching it about midway through the season we'll be covering for the foreseeable future. And I didn't necessarily know exactly what was going on, but I caught on pretty quickly. And I've been fairly obsessed ever since. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> we also have our, our podcast kitten. I don't know River. if you can hear her or not. So she's with us today. <laughs> her name is River Tam. Hi, River Tam. So... Like I said, we're into uh, season two. This is episode one of When She Was Bad. It originally aired September 15th, 1997. Uh, it was written and directed by um, our man Joss. And uh, so When She Was Bad, which um, I mean, the first thing that actually strikes me is, well, the ginormousness of the cemetery that I can actually see stuff from. <laughs> Like, you can definitely tell that they're on a soundstage now. <laughs> and I mean, in a good way. Right. I, what, I think the thing that stands out to me as far as set design in this, this first episode is it sort of sets the tone for the preponderance of conveniently sharp tree branches around the center. <laughs> yes. 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 I was like, that's lucky. <laughs> or, or construction sites that, like, have a thing sticking out. Yeah. Maybe so many Giles weapons. just yes. goes around to different cemeteries and <laughs> sharpens branches. <laughs> <laughs> now I want a, a fan fiction of that. I really do. 
like <laughs> how Giles life goes. Easier. And, yeah. And that they have elves that just keep setting up, you know, convenient things to make sure they can get rid of the vampire population. Well, it's not leprechauns mm. because we yes. know that's the one thing that does not exist in the Buffyverse. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I also did notice that Willow is a little bit more fashionable than she was last season. I mean, the lime green is a bit much, but I mean, it was the 90s. Everything was a bit much. (laughs) Yeah, I did notice because, I mean, that's one of the things, Willow being probably my favorite character on the show, the the fashionable Mm. arc of Willow Willow Rosenberg. Um, So, Mm. yeah, she's starting to get a little bit more cute these days. I mean, not that she's never cute, but (laughs) she's more fashionably cute. She's also a little redder, her hair. Yeah, Mm because the first season she was just kind of like brown. And I mean, everybody called her a redhead, but no, she really was not. (laughs) She's like more fashionable. So fashionable that even Xander noticed for a whole three seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I noticed that that was, uh, yeah, that that scene at the beginning, I was like, my my, my note is Xander and Willow make me sad. Yeah. Because (laughs) it's like they have that like one moment and then. Mm Uh oh, well, yep, that's gone now. (laughs) And it's like, oh. The scene at the beginning was actually not bad. Like, they actually seemed to be interacting as friends and, like, they were Mm -hmm. teasing each other. And it's like, oh, this is really nice. And then it got super uncomfortable because of that fucking ice cream. It's like. (laughs) I, I do love that, like, they're playing this, you know, movie quote game and he just shoves ice cream on her face and calls her Amish. Like, it's a good joke, yeah. but then it get yeah. And, and I think this was the portion in my life where I'm like, oh yeah, I totally ship that. And by the end of the episode, it's like, nope, no, I don't. Yeah, no, nope, it, nope, three nope. episodes from now, nobody's going to be shipping it. Because exactly. Nope. Well, I yeah. mean, one of the things in yeah. my notes here is like, repeatedly, it's just Xander is a weenie, Xander is a weenie, Xander is a weenie. <laughs> and not going to get any better. I know this. In terms of this yeah. episode, I actually was not terribly bothered by Xander. I mean, there's a couple of moments, but out of everything we've seen from him, yeah. he wasn't too bad in this. Yeah, Ooh, I've got several notes. <laughs> My Xander watch list, I'm like, how problematic is Xander? I don't really have anything. I mean, he's still pining for Buffy, he and he's dumb when it comes to Willow, but he doesn't do anything, like, super egregious, and he's actually really stands up to Buffy in a, in a, in a productive mm-hmm. way. Well, sort of. He's mad. Yeah. But My frustration yeah. is just it's... the way he's treating Willow because you have this really cute like chemistry moment and then she tries to re- recreate it later in the bronze right. and he's totally oblivious and it's like the fact that he's hurting and that the whole bronze scene which I guess we'll talk about later but just like the look on her face and the way he behaves I mean Buffy's bad too but it's just this is like Xander to you know the nth degree. It's the beginning mm-hmm. of the problems I have with him. Yeah, no that 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 scene that really it's like uh, uh and then and the, I so so I like I, I'm now developing this theory that you know, in an alternate universe where you know Buffy doesn't show up, Xander and Willow work out fine. So it's all Buffy's <laughs> fault. <laughs> Are you sure it's not that middle-aged vampire man who got really close to their face? Are you sure it's not his fault? <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, okay, that could have gone a, gone gone badly as well, but uh... <laughs> and also, I like, I mean, I know Buffy is kind of a jerk in this episode, though I actually have some feelings kind about of? that later. Um, but she's super right on the they don't have crosses and they don't have stakes. It's like you guys live on the fucking hellmouth. Like, what is your problem? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they should be always carrying sharp, pointy objects, no matter where they go, and a crucifix or two. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they've obviously been lulled into a false sense of complacency mm. over the summer because there hasn't been monster activity, mm-hmm. which leads me to questions like, do, do, do vampires take summer breaks as well? <laughs> well, I'm wondering oh. if they were still trying to figure out the mythology about everything, whether or not Buffy is really kind of affecting, like, the Hellmouth, because it does seem like there is this whole thing of, in the first season, the... Uh, everything with the master only kind of starts with Buffy and it only starts up again because Buffy comes back. Meanwhile, um, when you get to uh, season three, you actually see that the vampires are just um, running rampant while she's gone. And actually that is the problem that the Scoobies have to uh, pick up Buffy's slack. So, I mean, I don't know if it was kind of just a change in tone or if it was just the vampires like are able to work a lot better amongst themselves after, you know, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, <laughs> MC, because I mean, that Buffy even says it. It's like they almost, it's almost as if they know I'm here. So I think the, the original mythology may have actually been that she's kind of the catalyst and she's back, so they're back. Um, and then later they switch it. Mm-hmm. I also think that, you know, after the master is, you know, slayed by Buffy, I think the vampires needed some time to regroup, which could also That's explain true. why. They kind of, you know, it's, you know, summer vacation isn't that long. It's like two and a half months, really. So maybe they're like starting their plan and doing their research and, you know, kind of formalizing around the anointed one. And like this new terrible vampire Absalom comes. He's terrible. That is like a terribly not menacing vampire. I actually kind of of like him. He's got great dialogue. He's the the preacher. (laughs) Really? I... Yeah, yeah a preacher man. I thought his dialogue was like a subpar Muhammad Ali rhyming because he's like, well, I'm going to grind you into a sticky paste and well, smash in your face. And I'm like, dude, really? I mean, I love Muhammad Ali, but that is subpar. Like, I, I guess for me, it's just so hilariously over the top that it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, he's he's a lot of fun. But I'm, but I'm glad he doesn't last past this. Episode. Yeah, I, I really no, felt like yeah. with this one, the vampire scenes, they so badly wanted the master scenes, but they don't have Mark Metcalf anymore. <laughs> and it was, I th- I read some trivia, and I, I don't know if it's a hundred percent true that David. Put oh on yeah, the David Boreanaz. It's totally true. Um, you actually can see it in the dream sequence when he's choking her. I was, I read the same bit of trivia, and I look, and I'm pretty sure that's David Boreanaz like choking her. In the dream sequence. And actually, if you think about it, it kind of makes in-universe sense um, that Buffy should be kind of mixing up Angel and the Master, like, with these, you know, her fears about Angel as a vampire. It, it And it also kind of has, like, this weird foreshadowing. Like, I mean, I know they only did it because they didn't want to pay Mark Metcalf to come back for five seconds. But I can fan-wank this whole, you know, Buffy psychology thing about why she would have... Um, the master kind of look like Angel. Yeah, that actually yeah, works. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Their favor, so. Yeah. We're, you know, filling in their mythology for them, so. I, yeah. I'll buy that. that that's what <laughs> I do, so yeah. that's my job. I, I fill in their mythology. Yeah. The We're like, headcanon time, this is why this actually happened. Not bad writing, <laughs> but because of this underlying thing. Or budgetary oh. restrictions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, that's, a, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we have uh, Willow and Xander telling Buffy all about this whole ceremony that they did to bury the master's bones. And I mean, like, how much time could they have fucking saved if they had just done what Buffy did at the end of this episode? Because, I mean, they have this whole ceremony with robes and stuff. And and the whole thing is taken care of if Buffy just crushes the master's bones. 
And they said that Giles was with them. Like, Giles didn't realize this was a good idea. <laughs> uh, I could see Giles going the ritualistic route. Yeah, I mean, rather, that is, yeah. I mean, I mean, he would go, like, well, this is what the book says. So, <laughs> yeah. this is what, and hey, robes. Yeah. Maybe Miss Hellander was there and he wanted to impress her. That's, I oh, agree right. with that one. Oh. Uh, well, I mean, I think, all joking aside, I think it's really probably them setting up a way for Buffy to literally spank her in her Moffat. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Moffat. See, there was a 40 and slip there. I said in her Moffat instead of in her Moffat. Yeah, yes. Um, so that speaks to my <clears throat> feelings about Doctor Who more than anything. I think. Yeah. Um, we also, we see uh, Buffy's parents and this is the last time we will see Hank Summers. And I am so glad. And he is. Yes. But it's, it's weird seeing a sudden appearance of Hank like some sort of weird, vested, concerned Pokemon parent, because you don't see him again. <laughs> I mean, actually, when I was like listening to the conversation, I was like, okay, there. I mean, some of it sounds concerned, but also some of it sounds like super problematic because he's saying like, <laughs> I almost wish she were still starting fires because I, at least I would know how to deal with that. And it's like, okay, so what you want to do is yell at your daughter. You don't want to actually deal with her problems. <laughs> Right. And then, and also, everything is fixed by shopping. Apparently, I mean, granted, it's Buffy, so yes, it is. But um, yeah, it, it's like, and it's a dad thing. Like most dads don't encourage their daughters to go shopping all the time. I mean, I guess maybe they do in L.A., but well, this is the, part of it. Is also, I think, like divorced parent syndrome, where yeah. you're mm-hmm. you're you're competing for. Uh, there was actually a little. Cut in that scene where Hank says, "Okay, I'm spoiling her. Did I forget to mention that?" And Joyce says, "What you forget is that I'm going to have to deal with another year of Daddy would let me buy that." But mm-hmm. actually, if they'd left oh. that in, I think the scene would have been much better. Yeah, because oh yeah, yeah. I mean, just like Hank, it's like he has no idea how to relate to Buffy on any level besides throw money at the yeah. problem. So mm-hmm. you know, I know she can't tell him exactly what's going on and like what the specific trauma is but it sounds like he doesn't even you know your daughter's distant and you don't even really try anything more than you know yeah i i just yeah well i mean we do find out that when he when buffy did try to tell him he locked her up Mm -hmm. true very true yeah, no, he's 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 a horrible person, and I'm really glad he's gone, and that we are getting more of the Buffy and Giles uh, father daughter, you know, dynamic. Because Giles starts spotting it right yeah. away. He's like, mm, I think there's something going on here, because mm-hmm. you know Xander and Will are like, she's possessed, and Giles <laughs> is like, no, she's processing trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's not doing it in a healthy way. Yeah, um, and I'm a little angry at Buffy in this episode, uh, but. Yeah. Well, I think Giles, Giles start, yeah. Giles sees it like immediately because he's so in tune with sort of her emotional, like he's just way more in tune with Buffy and pays mm-hmm. attention to her emotional life way more than Hank does. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And on on that note, honestly, I think that's my favorite thing about this episode is that it plants the seeds firmly. There's no hint of it of Buffy's sort of long-term PTSD, mm-hmm. um, not mm-hmm. just from the trauma of dying and being resurrected, well, uh, resuscitated at the very least, but from just the horrific life she leads as a as a girl, mm-hmm. like just as a child. Um, and I think it was kind of, 
I, again, I don't remember much of television at that time, but I think it was kind of brave of the writers. And I don't know if it was intentional or not. I don't know if it was just for good dramatic television's sake or, and, and later on they were like, oh, we've got something here, or they realized it immediately. But to, to like very upfront say this person's traumatized and they're not dealing with it in a healthy mm-hmm. way. Well, I, considering Joss, Joss had sort of pitched it as, you know, high school is a horror film. I think some of it was, mm-hmm. inten- at least some of it was intentional, um, you know, just because it's, she's not your normal girl. I mean, she's not somebody who's just, I mean, she was, but then she isn't. And I think that's what he was trying to push. But I think the, the PTSD thing and of being a slayer and just her whole life does tend to explode and the arc gets bigger and bigger as the show goes mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The way they handled it in particular, this episode, the actual physical act of destroying what was troubling her. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily in my opinion, as far as like genuine therapy is concerned, the best way I do think they handle it with more care and more in depth through the seasons, but especially in season six, mm-hmm. also not necessarily healthy, but they really do examine how these yeah. things affect people long term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it was made for a great visual regardless. <laughs> and a couple of good jokes. This is one of my least favorite episodes. I mean, it's not teacher's pet bad because that is, <laughs> if you <laughs> listeners, you know that that is my litmus test for all episodes. But um, I don't know. It's it misses the mark in a lot mm. of ways for me. And mm. you know, trauma and PTSD, it's a thing, and people act out because of it. But mm-hmm. I don't always give people a pass for being an asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just again i i worry about buffy i worry about people that have ptsd and trauma mm-hmm. but i don't like it as using it as an excuse yeah. to be a dick no i agree with you mm-hmm. on that but i think they're still trying to find their feet in terms of the show i mean this is just mm-hmm. the beginning of season two and let's face it i mean buffy is an asshole at times she's not oh i mean she's <laughs> she's our protagonist she's our heroine but there are times where she's an absolute pain in the ass are really messed up too. So, but I think that makes her more real. And actually, mm-hmm. one of the things watching it that I didn't say—I mean, uh, Buffy. This is a really weird thing to admit, but Buffy is like my least favorite character on the show. But watching it this time, I'm actually liking her more. I'm liking Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance more, and I'm like noticing more nuances. And I, you know, and the same thing where you know, you don't always like her, but you understand why she's going through what she's going through. So, yeah, I think I think the problem the problem here is really that. Her- her, her her assholishness is it's it it's really very one note mm-hmm. there's there's yeah. no depth to it it's just like oh we're gonna make buffy a bitch for an episode though here's the one thing that i've noticed and um like i, I don't know what other people might disagree with me on this it's like some of the lines that buffy says that it's like oh my god buffy is that made buffy that made xander and willow say oh my god buffy's possessed are mm-hmm. lines that Buffy would say just normally in later seasons. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. when dealing with, especially with like Spike and stuff. And I mean, granted, they do have a very yeah. confrontational relationship, but she does get a lot coarser as the series goes on. So. Uh, the other thing that I noticed, like, and you know, I love Buffy. She is my everything. The actual character. Um, but something wasn't working about Sarah's acting for me. And I'm usually the one that's yeah. like, no, she's so like amazing. And we always talk about this person and this person being so great. But I think Sarah's so great. Some of her movements and some of her 
it was very like proto Catherine from Cruel Intention. Mm-hmm. She does this sexy thing when she's mad, and like that can also be accounted for in directing. Yeah. Like Joss could have pulled it back, but this, yeah, this is. I, I'm not. I'm not crazy about Sarah's acting. This is in this Joss's episode, and I second am. outing for directing, and I'm also mm-hmm. wondering just exactly how long it had been since they had filmed uh, because yeah. they did do all 13 of them before they aired anything. So mm-hmm. it might have almost been like close to a year uh, between the filming of season one and season two. So, so she was trying to find her good, own legs good again? Point. Exactly, yeah. Well, and the show has to sort of, you know, it was a 13 episode, very short season. I'm pretty sure it played in reruns over the summer, so maybe new viewers could be found. But pretty much any season premiere has to sort of reset up the world mm-hmm. in in some kind of way and what our rules are and who the people mm-hmm. are. And, you know, and I just, Buffy season premieres aren't that good. I was going to say that too. Um, I've never cared uh, The for only one I love is Anne. Anne is the only one that stands out to me as something I really, really like that episode. But the rest, I'm always like, oh, yeah, that was the premiere. I can see that, yeah. And I mean, it's the same thing with Angel. The Buffyverse has never really been good with their premieres. And we, since we were talking about asshole-ishness and stuff, um, one of the things that I made notes of, well, two things, actually. One is that we're talking about Joss directing. And I made a note, which was interesting. I just thought that Buffy, it reminded me very much of, like, the intro of black widow in the first avengers film i don't know why but there was something like he'd like kind of directed her the way i felt like he directed scarlett johansson in the avengers and i I don't know whether it was just the action or just the vibe of it but it was kind of weird and the other thing was that i really really love cordelia in this i'm kind of a corny fan oh yeah so great that whole thing like get over that whole scene of get over it after the bronze i was just like you know cordy you're a bitch and a half but you are awesome here you know she's the only one that'll basically call buffy out everybody else is coddling her and giving Mm -hmm. her even Willow, and I mean, it kills me that you know Buffy treats Willow this way mm-hmm. um, in terms of dancing yeah. with Xander. And then Cordy like jumps on her. And granted, it's partially because Cordy wants to go after her, but she's also like basically telling her the truth, and nobody else will call her on it. Going so, back Cordy's to awesome. Cordy's first scene when she when they're first establishing everybody at Sunnydale, <laughs> and she's yeah. talking about her trip to Cus- Tuscany, and she's like, "But then I think something like that builds character. But then I already have a lot of character. Is it possible to have? Is it possible to have too much character?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the uh, the Cordy's Cordy's brilliant in this episode. She's really great, mm-hmm. um, and she's a little more layered. Like that scene mm-hmm. where they tell her, like, "Hey, you can't say vampire that loud." And yeah, she's mean. She says, "Well, like, I would want people to know I hung out with you." But at the same time, she kind of takes a moment and says, "Yeah, no, okay, I get it." Um, and since I'm the one that tracks this, this episode totally passes the Bechtel test. It does. That Cordy scene. There's one with Buffy's mom, mm-hmm. but and the but the the scene. They're not talking about boys or not. Cordelia's like, dude, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't hear Cordelia even saying get over it. She says embrace the pain, yeah. spank mm-hmm. your inner Moffat, like yeah. embrace it and do not like. Hey, Buffy, just get over this shit. It's more like. Deal you gotta, it. you gotta live with this. You gotta mm. figure out. But it, that's a brilliant. Scene yeah, but the Corey's first line is, you know, lovely. get over it, and then mm-hmm. she, yeah, nuances it. The other thing, also, just the line about the squiggly demons. I don't know why that. Just that line made me laugh. I <laughs> yeah. love it. And yeah. I'm like squiggly demons. Okay, that's like a new phrase for yeah. me. Everything's gonna be squiggly demons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is also really great because Cordy's end scene, I think, really is a testament to her 
kind of incredible resilience. Oh, she yeah. really, really rolls with the punches, right? Yeah. Like the, her, her viewpoint in this, her sort of completely altered reality is very accepting, yeah. which for someone they sort of paint initially as this sort of two-dimensional mean girl is great. Well, I mean, like everybody makes a big deal about Oz's acceptance of vampires because he does have He's a, a great scene. But Cordelia's yeah. reaction is so nothing that we never actually see her reacting <laughs> to find out the vampires are real. She just kind of rolls with it. It's just like, I'm just yep. going to try biting this guy because see how you like it. <laughs> right. And I love her line. It's like, you can dry clean till judgment day, but you are living with those stains. It's <laughs> so amazing. She's like, so because great. she has, she's like, yeah, that was Kind of terrible. Didn't like being hung upside down. This is, you know, but look, I'm really more worried about my my clothes. Look, look, Cordy has her priorities. Mm, yeah, that's and and the, her clothing are are right up there. And it's a bonding <laughs> exercise for all of these people to hang upside down and you know really get to know each other as a group because now Cordelia and Jenny are really kind of part of the group. And speaking of bonding, mm. how cute is that scene between Giles and Jenny at the beginning, especially with, you know, oh. Principal Snyder. And, of course, I'm an Armin Shimmerman fan. I love him to bits. And just, like, that whole scene and the whole hormonal time bomb thing. It's just, that scene is beautiful. And, unfortunately, knowing yes. what's coming up, it's ripping my heart out, whereas the first time mm -hmm. I didn't know. So yeah. I kind of, like, got caught up in it, even though I should have known, because, like I said, I was watching two things at once. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, just, like, Giles and, and Jenny, like, forever hearty uh, eyes and soft uh, filters and all that yeah. stuff. Giles being just unable to, like, make words is just... <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, not liking the idea of Burning Man, but then it's, like, naked? Naked? Because yeah, right. yeah. he turns into Xander at that moment, like, naked? Naked? I'm a 16-year-old boy now. Naked? Yeah, there are two really great yeah. Giles character dichotomy moments. The, of course, I'm also the Giles Luster. Um, you are so not So, <laughs> no. like, go figure. Like, he has that great, sweet, adorable scene with Jenny, and it's just like, oh my god, you're the cutest thing right now. Mm -hmm. But, and I know it's totally problematic. What I'm going to say is totally problematic. But in the dream sequence, when he starts choking her, I'm like, oh. Because <laughs> you get you get that little the ripper face, that yeah. like super serious, <laughs> intense ripper face. So I'm. Yeah, Except before okay. they peel off a mask to reveal another mask. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Um, but yeah, it, it was pretty great. Giles was pretty great. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about that scene is it made me realize how the older I get, the more I identify with Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh yeah, youths. <laughs> I live in a college town. At the very yeah. least, as I get older, I identify with Giles, but. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm definitely with Snyder. Jeez, I, this this actually this episode has one of my my favorite Giles Snyder interactions. Oh, I know which one it is. Where where it's it's like I can smell it. It's like a sixth sense. <laughs> uh, that that would be one of the five, and and that that that's one of my favorite Snyder exchanges in the whole series. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
I also love in that first scene when, you know, Giles, like, wanders off with Jenny. Like, oh, yes. Snyder's just there monologuing. Yes. And then he looks around. And he's like, I might as well be talking to myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, just, it's a brilliant are. comedy moment. And like I said, I love Shimmerman. So he just, he just plays that. that whole, he sells it oh, so well. Oh, he's perfect. Oh, yeah. He's perfect. Yeah. And, and it's good and writing by Giles. Off so. of, mm-hmm. yeah. It is. And he plays off Tony Head really well. And we see that in Band Candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They work yeah. well together. Oh, and, yeah. and Burning Man facts. Um, <laughs> I, I went and looked at this because I, I actually, I realized I didn't know when Burning Man started and it started a long time ago, mm-hmm. like in the eighties, yeah. oh, wow. which mm-hmm. I didn't realize. However, I did notice that right around this time, 1997 is the first year where Burning Man was not in the open desert, but in a fenced off compound. So Jenny... If this is Jenny's first Burning Man, she's not going for the the original Burning Man experience. <laughs> she's not really a hipster. She wasn't there before it was yeah. a thing. Yeah. Right. She might have been. This may not have been Jenny's it, first. It's it's unclear. And all. It's unclear. But she, well, the way she talks about it, it sounds like it may be her first. Well, I mean, if you think about it, what we will find out later on in the season is that she is, you know, a a Romani. So it's very possible that you know she is, you know, was not in the country at the time, you know, of any other Burning Mans. I don't know. They act, all things considered, they go very light on what Jenny's slash Gianna's backstory is. I mean, we know that she is a Calderash, but that's kind of all we know. We don't know if, like, Mm -hmm. she is, like, from, like, an American, like, part. Because, I mean, like, she has the accent or anything. We don't know if she's putting that on or what. I always thought she was American, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Train of thought lost. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't exactly know what you're talking about, though. Um, yeah. Because her uncle has an American accent, right? No, he, he he's no, pretty. He, no, he has that weird, terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Vaguely Eastern yeah. European Very accent. Vaguely Eastern Maybe. European, even though you know that actor's totally not because he's in everything. Yeah. I think he's actually passed on now. When they were uh, uh, filming the initial scene in the school, I was super noticing the difference in production value between season one and season two. Everything Mm -hmm. is opened up more. Um, Like, Mm -hmm. the camera is moving a lot, and this is the first episode where you get to see the lounge um, that Mm -hmm. people hang out in a lot. Um, everything yes. is brighter and just bigger, and I just don't feel things are as, you know, closed in. Like, they don't do all these tight shots because they only have, like, three feet of hallway or something. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, bigger budget, bigger... Yeah. Yeah, business. I was under the impression that when they decided to commit to another season, they were like, okay, we're going to throw more resources at this. They got a full uh, season order also. Yeah, yeah it was full season they, order. They yeah. definitely had the money. Yeah. And of course, when you mentioned the lounge, the lounge is, of course, where they talk at full volume about yes. Buffy being possessed. Of despite course. their admonitions to Cordelia earlier in the episode. That's and like, Willow oh, earlier yeah. in the episode. Yes. I I, <laughs> I, 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 I I hate when they do that. I, it's like, this is one of my big big problems with Supergirl. The Supergirl series is like, I mean, I I stopped watching after a few episodes because the writing was really bad. (laughs) I wanted to like it so much and the writing was horrible. But but one of the things was, it's like, they talk about Kara being Supergirl at full volume in public all the time. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I, well, I mean, I think we have to accept the idea that a lot of people in Sunnydale actually do know that Buffy is the Slayer. They just don't talk about it. <laughs> so, I mean, like, actually, Jonathan yeah. does bring that up in his uh, prom speech that, you know. Yes, yes. No, I mean, that, that does eventually become canon. But but at this point, it's kind of like, uh, with, with the admonition to Cordelia earlier and to Willow, yeah. it's like, well, it's like, this is... That's a little too close together for you to be ignored. To me, I almost did it in a Doctor Who sort of way. That whole, not perception filter, but the whole, like, you know weird shit is going on, but it's so weird that your mind just kind of blanks it out. So even if people hear them, they're just, like, not hearing it. They're basically hearing watermelon cantaloupe, watermelon watermelon cantaloupe. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. to actually process their vampires, their demons, or this and that would, like, drive everybody crazy, and it would be chaos. So, therefore, people know it, but they don't know it. Yeah, TV Tropes used to call it Sunnydale Syndrome. Uh, In uh, Douglas (laughs) Adams, it was the somebody else's problem filter, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... That, that definitely does come up, and it comes up in a lot of different things. Um, dur- during the whole training montage, I mean, I hate that I was able <laughs> to do this, but I, I kept on going. It's like, hi, Sophie Crawford, and yeah, hi, Sarah Michelle <laughs> oh, Geller. man, this... <laughs> The stunt matching on this show has never been that great. It gets a little better in 6 and 7, but... Yeah, there are times we used to do a drinking yeah. game when I was in college when we watched these going uh Sophie Crawford, Sarah Michelle, Sophie I'm like, man, we could get but pretty it's, drunk. By it's the end of so that. ridiculous if you actually look back at interviews from back in those days because they did make a big deal about, oh, Sarah does her own stunts. And I mean, that's actually why <laughs> Sophie ended up quitting eventually is because she wasn't really getting a lot mm. of credit for her work. But I mean, that, mm. it's like it's right there. Yeah, that that seems to have been a standard trope at the time too. Because um, I was a big Babylon Five fan. I remember um, reading an interview I wanted, um, um, uh, with Gina Davis talking about one of her movies and how she did all her own stunts. And Pat Patricia Tallman was on Babylon Five, but she also had been a stunt woman. Mm-hmm. Like basically shredded her about the fact that Gina Davis is not doing it and why you know she's like taking credit for what stunt people are doing. Yeah. So it just was like, and that again the same time period it was like the '90s where I guess it was like we don't talk about stunt people; they don't actually exist. They're like yeah. vampires. Or demons you know it's just like everybody yeah. does their own stunts and there's no insurance issues I'm like please yeah well i mean there's st- there's still a lot of issues with that these days because i mean like they don't want to put in a stunt person category in the oscars um like best stunt mm-hmm. work because they don't want to admit that actors don't do their own stunts and it's like it's everybody knows this like come on it's ridiculous like um i actually have a lot of respect for um Quentin Tarantino in this one case. I was about to say Tarantino. Yeah, (laughs) because um, when it came to like uh, Kill Bill and everything, Uma Thurman's um, uh, stunt stunt person, um, Zoe Zoe Bell. Bell, Yeah, Um, he 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 basically wrote an entire movie just to be like this. This was Uma Thurman's stunt woman, and she's so awesome that I want to like do an entire movie that's just her doing stunts. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's very upfront about that. Yeah, and I think when um, Zena, which was also going on around the time, and I think it may have been Zoe Bell who was actually... Uh, Zoe Bell was, uh, yeah. Lucy Lawless's Lula, stunt person, yeah. too. But they talked about yeah. her a lot, and I think she actually got some speaking roles every once in a while. They'd sneak her in as, like, an extra. Yeah. But they admitted it there, mm-hmm. like, when Lucy was doing stuff and when she wasn't. So yeah. it's just ridiculous that Buffy that was going on at the same time couldn't admit that. Yeah. It doesn't ruin the mystique of it, y'all. We know it's not real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Nobody here is confused about that. <laughs> we see Sophie's face and then Angel Stump Double will get to it in Becoming. Dude, you can tell that those are, it's really yeah. poorly. Yeah. The stunt matching is poorly done on yeah. Buffy. It's one of my biggest criticisms of this show. Yeah. I mean, part yeah. of it might be because Buffy was kind of just at the start of the rewatchability of shows. Like, I mean, they did do reruns, but um, Buffy was kind of where you started to get stuff that would come out on VHSs that were actually affordable mm. to buy, you know, instead yeah. of being like yeah. hundreds of dollars. So people could watch mm. them over and over again a lot more and be like, oh, you know what? I noticed this moment where that's totally not them. Yeah, uh, during this training montage, one of the things I was trying to figure out, but I was watching it on my laptop, so I didn't have like a great view of things. I was trying to figure out whether that was Tony Head that was getting thrown around or whether it was stunt double also, because I could definitely tell that it was Sarah's stunt double. But it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, Giles gets thrown or this is that. Is that Tony or is that somebody else? So. Oh, yeah, I've never noticed with the stunts. I've never. Yeah, with Tony and with Nikki, I I, the stunt matching seems to be better. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know later on in the run that, you know, um, Nikki's twin brother will do some of his stunts. But at this point, that hadn't happened yet. And Mm -hmm. I haven't noticed, you know, so or I never noticed Willow's. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. But yeah. Buffy and Angel, bad. Yeah. Well, I, I bad, think bad. they. Uh, it was probably harder to find stunt doubles for them because they need people who matched up to them somewhat and were also capable of doing all of the stuff. Meanwhile, for mm. the other folks, it was more, we need somebody who looks like them who can be thrown around, which is a lot yeah, less demanding. Right. Yeah. Than the actual fights, yeah. yeah. I mean, and Sarah Michelle Gellar is a pretty tiny sure. person. I was going to say, so it's, it's going to be hard, hard to match her because she's It's hard cute. matching someone so tiny, actually. Yeah. Um, they do a way better job with it on Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kept the same stunt double for yeah. that for the whole time. And I think that stunt person moved over to Bones with David later Probably. on. For a while. Yeah. Wonder if he's going to stay with David for this new show that he's got going on. He's apparently got... David has, David a, new has a new show that's been picked up for the fall season, yeah. Um, I saw something about oh. it, but I don't know anything about what the show is, so... I didn't, I didn't even hear about it. I, I don't know anything about it other than it's happening, and I'm super, super surprised, and I'm really sorry for saying this, David, but I'm, I'm surprised that he is the one that is not only getting, like, had this the show do this whole run like because bones was on i think even longer than angel was it was on for like oh, seven it was like years. 11 years it was on oh, for yeah. 11 years yeah. wow um yeah no no bones bones was on for a long yeah. time and and now immediately he's got another show and at the first during the first season of buffy i never would have thought that david would be the one to come out with regular work after it i know right 12 seasons yeah yeah, 12 seasons of Bones. So, yeah, I know it's odd that he would, you know, Allison did well with, you know, How I Met yeah. Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and Seth is doing his thing. I mean, you know, how many years has Robot Chicken been on? So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I think everybody, sadly, it's everybody except Nikki is doing really well. And that's mostly yeah, because well, Nikki has yeah. his demons. Um, yes, he does. I mean, and Robia yeah. uh, de la Morte, obviously, because she found religion and i guess got out of acting in general yeah so. um mm-hmm. yeah I, I think she, she's doing like sermons and stuff but... i mean i mean Nick, nikki's done some yeah. stuff he was on criminal minds for a while but... yeah right he was he was a semi-regular on criminal yeah. minds for a while yeah quite a while 
Yeah, I think um, uh, I think everybody's doing stuff. Um, it's just like David, for some reason, ended up being the most prominent other than, I guess, Allie. Mm-hmm. But even Allie, um, How I Met Your Mother wasn't was very successful. That's been off the air for a, for a while now. Yeah, I mean, I think Sarah and Allie, at, especially Sarah, at one point, once her kids were born, yeah. she's yeah. taken a lot less work. Like, I totally support her decision to be like, I. Mm. Yeah. You know, I she wrote a cookbook. Sarah's yeah. cookbook just came out, so you and know. And unfortunately, hey. there is the women after thirty-five. Uh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of David Boreanaz, I just looked it up. It says SEAL Team: The Lives yes. of the Elite Navy SEALs as they train, plan, and execute the most dangerous, high-stakes missions our country can ask. Um, that's from IMDb. So, yeah, I'm skipping that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm skipping that. Yeah. Um, that doesn't seem like my cup of tea. No, my, you know, good for. Good for David. Um, so this episode, yes. we were talking yes. about an episode. Um, so this episode is landmark in that this is the first episode where I actually recognized the band in it. Yay! 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 I obviously did. And I actually, that was one of the things that got me into the show too when I started to do the rewatch because I actually am a big Chibamato fan. Um, I have all their stuff and... As I was gushing in my my messages, you know, that baby face face player, Sean Taro Ono Lennon. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of a big fan of his um, work, too, and I've seen him play with his mom. So I was, like, really excited about Chibo being involved. I, I however, feel cheated because there was no clock. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Well, you should ask him about that on um, on Twitter or on Facebook. He talks to people. So. Though, um, th- this, uh, the, the numbers that they do are some of the best numbers, I think. They are, I would say, in the, in the top, um, the performance of Sugar Lager is in the top ten of all yes. of the performances on Buffy. Um, oh yeah, I just think the whole the, the whole scene, not just the band, but just the whole scene in the bronze, is very very atmospheric and everything works beautifully. Yeah, Chibo Mato can clog dance is probably one of my top ten favorite lines <laughs> of the entire. And the way Willow says it, Chibo Mato can clog dance, like it's like it's adorable, <laughs> and it is really it's one of my favorite. lines. I think lines. you should write a song for ukulele called Chibo Mato. Called Chibo Mato can clog dance. <laughs> Yes. All right. Let me make a note of that ukulele song about Chibo Motto. Yeah. and then I can just bang on the back of the ukulele on a break, <laughs> pretending they're clog dancing. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I expected oh, you to actually clog dance. Okay, I'm not. Am I asking too? Much? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. Um, so yeah, um, Chibo Motto, They're great. Yeah. No, it's a really great scene. Uh, since we are at mm-hmm. the music part, I will mention. The songs that happened in this episode, we had Spoon by Chibomato, and then, of course, Sugar Water. And we also had It Doesn't Matter by Alison Krauss. So, okay. actually, there's yeah, two beautiful you know, track. performances from people that, that, that I recognize, because I, I of course, mm. know Alison Krauss as well. Oh, Alison Krauss is, like, yes. legendary. She's amazing. Um, so. But, I mean, I guess we're getting a little more of a budget, or maybe I was just a little more... <laughs> hip to what was going on but like a lot of the stuff that happened in season one had no idea who they were at the time and have no idea who they are now <laughs> right yeah. yeah also i mean I, I was trying to check talking of music just at the very end there's um when they're sort of everything is working out there's that whole piano thing and it sounds very bruce hornsby and i i really didn't i should check the timing because i was like that sounds like Bruce Hornsby, but I don't think it is. I think it's just the incidental music but for some reason it just kind of oh that after school special music 
Yeah, when she's, the very when end. she's sitting in the lounge. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I always think. Oh, I always think that the very end of the episode where they're like, we saved you a seat oh, and they sort of make God, up. Yeah. That little play out music is the most after school yes. special. It's yeah. terrible. But we do it's have awful. to bring up for in- incidental music. We have to bring up that Christoph Beck is finally doing the yeah. music. Right. I it's it's interesting cuz I actually noted this time that maybe Christoph is just getting his feet but the music in this episode is pretty heavy-handed. I feel like they're trying to find it's almost like a bridge between like the super B movie music of the first season mm-hmm. and what Christoph will eventually give us because I mean yeah. like, I I was kind of critical on the music in the first season because it was very heavy and B movie, yeah. and then Kristoff will eventually get like the beautiful iconic tracks. And this is—it's a little better than it was in the first season, but it's still kind of. I, I think he was watching the first season as like, okay, so this is what I got to do. So, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, because like you we were saying, the playout music. I mean, I'm suddenly hearing this like like sort of you know poppy perky piano riffs and i'm like what is this you know it's we're kind of like have an emotional moment here and all of a sudden you know that 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 like what it's very uh, yeah that last play out music is very after school special and yeah i thought i found it really heavy-handed i think he is still figuring it out but we all know that Kristoff will get amazing pretty quickly yeah he's so so I so, think, so good. um by the middle of this season we will be hearing mm-hmm. him as and the themes will start coming yes. in. Yeah. Yeah, that little riff he does, I think it's, is it in surprise when um, Xander and Cordelia, or Cordelia confronts her group of friends about her feelings towards Xander and she sort of walks away, they walk away sort of triumphantly, that little um, bit of music right there is probably some of my favorite throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Barring, of course, <laughs> the musical episode. We'll talk about that eventually. And yes, uh, after the whole dance sequence. Uh, but in terms of the dance sequence, I, I mean, like, okay, I don't want to criticize Angel, except I do want to criticize Angel. <laughs> um, he's already had this bad experience with Buffy, which, by the way, was totally creepy, where he's, like, in her bedroom. And it's oh, like, oh, yes, yes, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Can I say something? Yes. Um, when I saw that scene, I just, because I, I made a note. Did you write down Edward Cullen? Yeah, just like I remember. Thank you. you me think too. About yeah, all the too. crazy Twilight fans who were always complaining about how cool Buffy was as compared to you know compared to Twilight because you know Edward was always creeping on Bella and hanging out in her bedroom. I'm like, this is the same damn thing. This is that <laughs> Twilight moment, and don't tell me that Buffy was this great you know what empowering thing, which of course it is. But yeah. at that moment, it was so not. At the very least, yeah. she does call him out on it, but she only does that because she is in her, you know, traumatized, you know, attack the world mood. But yeah, like, I mean, yeah. okay, Angel supposedly came in because he needs to warn Buffy about the anointed one, but he's just standing in her fucking standing window watching there. her sleep. Like, if she hadn't woken up from her bad dream, would he have just stood there? <laughs> like, that's... Like I said, it was a totally a Twilight moment. Like, would he have woken her up? Or, yeah, well, it's very, yeah. Well, he... I, I guess he doesn't really have much else to do. <laughs> so I'm so like, yeah, I'll just stand here. 16-year-old girl yeah, sleeping. Just... I'm sorry, that's fucking mm-hmm. I'll wait. Yeah, um, very creepy. Yeah, it's never... It's really watching other people sleep. I mean, 
sometimes you look over at your partner and you're still awake and you're like, oh, what a cute sleeper. But I live with that person, you know, (laughs) I'm not standing there over the bed watching them like my cat does. Especially like looming through a window and just like watching through the windows even creepier than standing over them. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the only person that's, the only being that's allowed to, like, stand over me and watch me sleep River. is the cat. And even that's kind of yes. creepy sometimes. Yeah, that's creepy about that. I'm like, what? You're, you're you're just being weird right now. Stop being Edward, I've told her before. But she won't. Like, she doesn't listen. Yeah. Uh, now, my literal note for that moment, for that timestamp is, God, Angel, creep much? Yeah. Because yeah. Rewatching him getting back into the slang yeah. a little bit, which is uh, and yeah. I think he, I also think he's a little creepy at the bronze because he's had this big like fight with Buffy, and so then he's just kind of lurking at the bronze. And at this point, they haven't really established that the bronze is an all ages club. They're not really going to get into mm-hmm. that once the, until they go into um, university, college, into college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right now it just seems like a teen club, and so you have like twenty six year old Angel just kind of hanging out there waiting for the sixteen year old girl <laughs> yeah. that has yeah. yelled at him, and it's like Angel, you're creepy. I they're they're still trying to figure out Angel. Um, yeah, I am going to be very rough on Angel until we get to Surprise and Innocence because uh, mm. for this you know for the first half of the season when they are really pushing the forbidden love. Uh, romantic part, I could not stand it at all. Yeah. Mm. Um, and at least, like, after we'll get, you know, we'll get to them, you know, f- um, the the Angelus part of things, which is fucking brilliant. And at least season oh, yeah. three is more about deconstructing how they absolutely will not work. Um, but mm. for, for this first half of the season, I find it mm. really intolerable. Yeah. Also, outside, uh, I have a nitpick. Um, outside the bronze when she says well you're a vampire or is that not acceptable term anymore should i say undead american he's not american he's irish uh, yes exactly <laughs> but does she know that yet no. yeah kind i guess, of? I, no, guess I don't think she knows that. Yeah, i guess does she, she doesn't know that but but damn it he's not an Amer- as far as i know i don't <laughs> believe he ever got citizenship here <laughs> <laughs> deport him she she might know because they they did do uh, <laughs> research on him. Well, I mean, to be fair to him, he shouldn't go back to Ireland because then he'll use the accents. Nobody wants that. <laughs> no. Oh, no, no. Nobody, no, wants, no, that no, nobody wants that. <laughs> no. It is genuinely tragic. That's like bringing David Tennant here. That's no. Don't do it. No. <laughs> yeah. I think I can stomach Tennant's American accent more no. than I can stomach. No, 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 oh. no. I mean, I love I love David Tennant, but his American accent is abysmal. Agree. <laughs> it's like Benedict Cumberbatch too. That's the other one I can't handle. His American accent is just really he, bad. He's he's still better than David Boreanaz. Oh well, yeah, I'm better than David Boreanaz. David Boreanaz is so bad at the Irish accent that Joss wrote around it for the when the the episode where <laughs> he, he lost his memory and he was supposed to be Irish. It's like, where's my accent? And it's like, you've never had one in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I have a better Irish accent than David Boreanaz, yeah, and yeah, I haven't too. done one in I haven't done one in a long time. Um, see, Lucky from Lucky Charms has a better <laughs> accent than David Boreanaz, right. <laughs> and wasn't his like first wife Irish or something? Oh my God, was she? I think she was Irish American. I don't, I don't know if she was like straight up Irish. Okay, I thought she was Irish. So anyway, so. I think we need to talk about the 
problematic sexy dance. Oh, yes. We can talk about that. I mean, the excellent lighting in that scene or just the grossness of the scene in general? It's so gross. I mean, and like, I I have a note that says, bad Joss, bad Joss, because it is so male gaze. I mean, well, but the thing is, like, I'm watching this and like, if you look at it as a whole, it's like Xander's going along with it because Mm -hmm. he's a 16 year old boy. But if you look at his face, even he looks uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, Yeah. for sure. It's very... If if this was Cinema Sins, we would refer to we would point out that Xander has a very confused boner at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like yeah, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. The whole thing, it's and of course, of course, she is like being horrible to Xander mm-hmm. because it's all about getting him all worked up and then going, well, wouldn't you? Don't you wish I would? Thank you, and then going away, mm-hmm. <laughs> and also just like she's being horrible to Willow. Oh God, the, the... because. She knows how Willow feels about Xander. Because you mentioned Willow. Sorry, just the the look on Alison Hannigan's face. I mean, I, that's just like beautiful acting because she, that's oh, yeah, stunned like, excellent. what the hell are you doing face? Just that one shot like kills me. Yeah, well, well, that's that's Allie's stock and trade. That's <laughs> yeah. like one of yeah. her, that's one <laughs> of her just like things you just like, oh, that's that's something we need. Give it to her Allison Her eyes Hannigan. are twice the size of a regular person. <laughs> Yeah. She's got Disney eyes, yeah. Yes, not not I'm... the size of a regular person's eyes, but twice the size of a regular person. It is... Right. In that little tiny body, too. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so it makes them even bigger because she's so little. But also, I, this sort of... Xander's sort of... I don't know if I want to say complacency here, but he has this trend, or, you know, it's been written, this trend of Xander not necessarily giving vocal and outright and enthusiastic consent when it comes true. to very true the women mm, in his yeah. life it's it's a a, a series long yeah which is alarming yeah. yeah i want to say that i think it's a little bit of i mean it's a stereotype and it's not a fair stereotype of like the geek boy who's like happy to get anything any kind of attention mm-hmm. or fiscality or whatever so i'll take it you know being very passive but it's it's not good mm-hmm. yeah. it's not a no. nice thing to do so yeah yeah and this is one instance where that that comes up but he's still not comfortable yeah it's like Mm -mm. it's like we're using the the geek boy stereotype was like well okay a woman is touching me so that's good but this isn't right Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is which is unusual in 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 (laughs) yeah yeah coming from a world of like weird science-esque ideas of what geek boys do for sex you know Mm -hmm. revenge of the nerds and weird science Mm -hmm. you have xander who's very clearly uncomfortable with you know, Buffy's sort of performative hypersexuality. Mm-hmm. So. But at the same time, he's fixated on her because he's already blown Willow off mm-hmm. with the, the, the mm-hmm. ice cream thing thing and, you know, like kind of watching her around. So it, it's it's doubly creepy because he's like, not that he's asking for it, but he's already been like focusing on her and then this thing happens. So. It's, it's kind of like it's, he's finally got what he wanted, but it's not what he expected. Not what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or be careful what you wish Absolutely. for. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he learns that in depth yes. later. So. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Logan. That's like such a good point about yeah, Xander's lack of real enthusiastic consent in many situations with pretty much everyone he mm-hmm. at some at several different points he's literally prey. Yeah. And we can sort of go into we'll definitely I imagine we'll definitely go into in depth the issue of his potential rape. 
uh, later yeah. on in the series. Yeah, no, uh, this is, oh, this is yeah. something that I, I've talked about on my YouTube series before. Um, mm -hmm. Joss's um, sexual assault of men is actually, in a way worse than the, um, any of the sexual assaults that have happened on women because a lot of times they are gone through to completion uh, while most of the time mm -hmm. women are just threatened with it while guys not only does it actually happen but it never actually gets properly acknowledged as an assault absolutely well I, I was mm -hmm. going to say I think he kind of looks at it as, as in a weird way of like geek boy wish fulfillment but it's uh -huh. not but in, in the real world that's not how it yeah. works or it shouldn't work yeah yeah, and again, as I pointed out earlier, just the direction of the sexy dance scene, it's so that base level male gaze filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Joss, no better, do better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I do think Nikki's, whether it was direction on Joss's part or written in the script, I do think his his act, the way he acted that scene, as David pointed out, is really, David pointed out, is very um, subtle and, and poignant, the, how uncomfortable he looks. Yeah. Yeah. No, Nikki's really yeah. good. And even the next day when, you know, they're like, she's possessed. And he's like, but have we stopped to consider that she's wildly attracted to me? <laughs> oh. And then he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. She's possessed. Like, yeah, even he can't believe that for five seconds. Yeah. But <laughs> he's, he's trying to play it off with a yes. funny Xander joke, which is what he does. And that's how he sort of deals with the yeah. world. But yeah, but, but in, even but he's in like, this yeah, case, you're right. he no. can't even sustain that. Yeah, right. he can. And there is one of my favorite lines in the um the the morning after when Xander after Xander hears Willow spell out bitch and he's like a bitka? Bit bitka. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's actually one of my, it's wonderful. Like I don't like this episode very much as a whole, but man the one-liners are one -liners amazing. Are Cordy's so one-liners, Xander's they, they're really good. Everybody gets their moment, yeah. That was that was my reaction is that this is not a great episode, but there are a mm -hmm. lot of good pieces. Yeah. Um mm -hmm. I yes. still yeah. use Bitka to this day because oh, me too. <laughs> it is a Absolutely. nice way to use that word without so much of the misogynistic uh, baggage that comes with it. So <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, no, I, I use it frequently also. I think we're gonna MC. have to start. Yep. Yeah, me as well, Jam. <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, I could definitely see where that dance sequence, uh, the, just the filming of it is uncomfortable in, you know, many ways. Like, I mean, in watching it, I'm like, oh my God, he's, ba she's basically giving him a standing up lap, lap dance. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Buffy grinding in the club before it got popular. <laughs> Yeah, she's the OG. And then, yeah. of course, it's like that, that sequence is also used, I think, for the next, what, five years, six years? Yeah. It's always in the opening credits, too. So it's like, oh, we're mm -hmm. so proud of this. It's usually one of again. the close-ups, though. So, yeah. um, but it's still, yeah. I, it's still very iconic. Um, Squicky. Yeah, but iconic. I think, even though it was, um, if we're, if we're sort of, I don't know, this may not be pertinent since we've sort of moved past this, past this but we talk about really good Xander Willow moments it's just occurred to me even though it was in Buffy's dream um the moment of them switching snacks yeah oh I yes really like yeah that. no I like that it's great I love that yeah and I think that's that's sort of you can you can attribute it to Buffy sort of subconsciously picking up on their sort of long-term yeah. in like relationship with each other yeah. yeah no I mean like I I actually um there were a couple of scenes in that dream sequence that I really liked and I, I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about, like, Xander lines and stuff. I actually really like the line, um, we're bosom friends, the friends of your bosom. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
<laughs> I do love that line. Yes. But yeah, ha. Bosom. Xander is six years old. Well, he still. is, though. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, this is what Buffy thinks Xander is like. <laughs> true. <laughs> very, very true. That's true. Yeah. That's... Yeah. But she's not wrong. No, she no. really is not. No. I, I, also... I have... I have a friend that's used that line on me many times. He's like, you're my bosom friend, friend of your bosom. Right. I've used it before. Yeah, he's a drag queen, so it's not like I feel like he's <laughs> taking any kind of weird advantage of, like, you know, he's not being gross. He just likes Buffy, yeah. too. So The other thing along the lines is I love Willow and Xander's, like, sitting there passively and just watching as Giles is, like, you know, choking her. And they're just eating their snacks mm-hmm. and... Watching like it's a normal thing. It's just a, it's very very dark humor and great. This is when you know what's that's, going that's on. That's a really nice moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, beyond dark humor, I think it's really important, especially the line he says while he's still Giles. What is it? Um, it I, something about killing her the first time. I kill I time? killed you once, and not, doing it again shouldn't be that difficult. I wonder if it's not sort of a subconscious blame. I was think oh, I was thinking that as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can definitely see that. Yeah. One of my other favorite lines of this episode, this this episode has yeah. great one-liners. Well, it's Josh. She goes, yeah. it's, right. Yeah. She's like, it's entirely pointy. Yes. Like, yeah. She's <laughs> talking about it being pointless or something. She's yes. Like, no, it's entirely pointy. I really liked mm-hmm. when uh, they um, uh, send the note about Cordelia <laughs> and and they said, you know, uh, come after dark or we make her a meal. And Xander says, they're going to cook her dinner. <laughs> they're going to cook her dinner? <laughs> and and again, even he's like, oh, I can't yeah, believe Nikki's I just Yeah, delivery yes. is pitch perfect on that line. Like, it's, he, it's, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have many problems with Xander, but Nikki's delivery of one-liners, yeah. I never really have a problem oh, really with. He's that. so great. Yeah. I do have a bit of a nitpick, and this is like not like an, an outward mistake, but it's more of an editing slash writing thing. I feel they made a mistake on the closest slash nearest reveal. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that's actually a very good twist on everything. Um, mm-hmm. But they had that scene where Cordelia finds that they've also taken Miss Calendar, and they don't mention that they've taken Miss Calendar in the note. You never find out that they've taken Miss Calendar. So I think it m- might have been stronger had they set up, like, that, you know, Cordelia as potential bait, but then it turns out that, you know, they actually need to take her for this ritual. And maybe had Miss Calendar be taken with giles and willow in that scene so that you know then they can reveal it's like oh it was actually nearest rather than closest it's just a personal thing you know as a writer Mm -hmm. you know looking at you know yeah i i I think well as an editor i i think it i think it it slips by Mm -hmm. it it i mean i can see i i see your point but sometimes you have the material you have to work with yeah and and it's put together in a way that works. Yeah. So yeah. again, again, it's 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 a question that's like, oh yes, we are sitting here and analyzing yeah. this. If someone was just watching the episode, that wouldn't yeah. be a problem. No, definitely. So, but yeah. you know, I'm so, pointing it yeah. out because so, we're analyzing things, David. <laughs> oh no, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's an odd little omission, but you know, it may have even been yeah. that there was something there and it just got cut out. You know, yeah. or yeah. it just oh okay, well yeah, didn't I never mentioned that? Oh well. 
you know, we'll fix it in poster. Nobody. I think probably yes. what it was is that they didn't want to have Miss Calendar in with the main Scooby gang, so that they needed to establish that mm-hmm. they had taken her. Right. But yeah, yeah. And just yeah, I gotta say, edit one of the least favorite phrases editors ha- here is "we'll fix it in post." Yeah. It's oh, uh, yeah. oh dear. As no, a former no, editor, please. yeah, that that's always that's why I, I always use that because mm-hmm. it's like no, you yeah. can't always do this, but. Yeah. We'll fix it in post. Uh, the world will yeah. fix it in post. Uh, <laughs> you know, talking about, you know, Xander and his character, the scene that he has with Buffy when he actually after the vampires have taken Giles mm. and Willow and he tells her off, that is kind of up there with Prophecy Girl when Xander talks to um Angel, trying to get Angel to like sack up. Yeah. Xander's mm-hmm. strength in that because we know how he feels about Buffy. And he's usually kind of a doormat when it comes to that kind of stuff, um, especially yeah. in these early episodes. And the fact that he is able to stand up to her and basically be, you have been awful. And because you have been awful, our friends are in danger. Mm-hmm. This is Xander. Xander's growing up. Well, also, it's it's interesting. It's like, you know, we always have, we always discuss how, you know, terrible it is that Xander clearly knows how willow feels about him mm-hmm. and he doesn't respond and it's you know he's terrible but when it comes to willow being in danger he will he will get his dander up and he will just get in your face yeah. about it oh he, yeah he is because he says it's like if they hurt if they hurt willow i'll kill yeah. you which i personally i appreciate the sentiment behind it and i definitely enjoy seeing xander not only stand up to buffy except for in season seven in which i have a problem with it but we'll talk yeah. about that in, you know a year or so um the oh, god no several years actually um i i appreciate the sentiment and i do like him sort of having this moment where he's like oh god i really care about willow i don't i'm like yeah stand up don't threaten to kill your friends maybe mm-hmm. probably well he's 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 bleeding and angry at this yeah. point so it's fair enough yeah <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it does show what, I mean, yes, he's not oblivious. He totally knows how Willow feels yeah. about him. But he also knows how he feels about Willow as a, yeah. a close and lifelong friend. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's more about that than it is about a romantic thing. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's a shipper yeah. moment at all, because, mm-hmm. ew. No, but it's 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 a Xander loyalty moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. It's not a romantic thing. It's... It, it, it's it's mm-hmm, that yeah. Willow is is just one of the most important people yeah. in his life. Mm-hmm, and yeah, frankly, yeah. I, I think at this point at least, despite his sort of hang-up on Buffy, if he had to, like, choose between protecting one of them, he, he would protect Willow. Oh, yeah. You see that in the beginning of the episode, he's like, get back, I'll take on this demon, even though neither one of us can do it. Yeah. Well, he also knows that Buffy can take care of herself, but... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. I think he yeah. would. I I would actually think he would probably hope he would try to find a way to protect both of them because just to well, bring yes. Harry Potter mm-hmm. into this. But Xander is such a puff. Zan- yes. Xander's a puff. Yeah. Oh, he's very much a puff. Yeah. Badger represent. Um, if we're nitpicking, <laughs> if we're nitpicking, can I ask a question? And this seems like the group yes. to ask: mm-hmm. Is hanging people upside down really the best way to exsanguinate them? Huh. <laughs> Um, they should uh, ask Riverdale. I'm asking for research. <laughs> well, I don't know. It I depends. Am, are they kosher or not? Um, <laughs> right. I I am guessing that um, cutting the throat and having that large 
a mm-hmm. single exit point probably is useful because mm-hmm. if you're hanging them like head up like you're cutting their feet or mm-hmm. it's just like it doesn't <laughs> gra- it you're letting to... gravity do the work and literally i mean i think i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm pretty sure that is part of like the way that kosher butchers actually yeah slaughter mm-hmm. things they do because it's it's gravity and it just gets all the blood out as quickly as possible there, i'm also wondering yeah. if yeah. they need to have like the blood from all of the different people hit the master's bones at the same time like so so, mm. so maybe yeah. there's it's part of that that i was just about to google quick <laughs> sanguinate someone and i was like no no i'm not gonna do it <laughs> probably this really i don't think you want to go incognito for that, I think. That's, yeah. yeah. Right. But the, I'm sorry. The government can still track that incognito yes, they shit, can. I swear. We'll finish it up with, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> you know, there, there's actually a, a, a Tumblr online that um, uh, they, they started it because I had suggested it, but it's called It's For a Story. And, and so it right. links ah. to a bunch of different, like, weird stuff that it's just like, you know, how to murder somebody. Blood spatter, age of consent in different countries. All of this stuff that you don't want to look up. But you've yeah. got to, because you yes. have to know for realism. Because you have to know for, wow. yeah. It's yeah. like, it's for a story, I swear. And my last nitpick, since we're in that sort of warehouse scene in general, um, when Buffy goes in with her very great, that'll distract them quip, um, what does she stake the first vampire with? There's nothing in no, her. No, there hand. isn't. She just punches him and he turns into dust. Which, and then he hits yeah. the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Why is there a tree here? Look. She just punches him in the back and then he turns into, and he turns and he, into dust. He just yeah. poofs. Yeah. It was a Amazing. nice scene, though. I like that one. Uh, do, the very yeah. beginning scene where she throws him against the tree, I was a little disappointed that they just had Willow stand there. Yeah. yeah. Like a damsel in distress with Xander and willow does not stake a vampire until uh what's my line part two? Oh, yeah but she could have like i don't yeah, know I, i'm just throwing like out. she did so well in the library with like the you know penis-y hellbees yeah. um <laughs> and yeah, she just she just stands yeah. there she could have like they both would have 100 yeah. percent died if buffy had and it, it's really but... sad willow does not stake a uh, vampire until when she was not when she was bad uh, until what's my line part two and it's only because Allie, you know, was like, okay, I've been on this show for like two years now. Can I please stake a vampire? And the scene, <laughs> the scene is Giles holding the vampire and she stakes it. You know, a lot of the women on this show had to ask before they got to kill yeah. things. Because Cordy did a Christmas, the same thing. She's like, I want to kill a vampire. Yeah. You know, and they don't give it, you know, she says for this. It's for season three. It's like graduation day part two that she really is like, can I please for the first time stake yeah. a vampire? And I, I really like that so. staking scene. I know which one, uh, which one it is because I'm that kind of mm. nerd. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that does seem to happen a lot. And it's, it's really, you know, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, OK, it was an accident, but Xander got to kill a vampire in the second part of the first episode. And now, yeah. And I just assume that, you know, J- not Joss, Giles kills many yeah. vampires. Um, well, I'm sure he did it under const- under controlled circumstances at the Watchers Academy like Wesley True. Did. I, I can't, I was reading an article <laughs> or listening to something and I can't remember now. I wish I could find it again. Where I think it was another, maybe it was Amy Acker having to do the same thing, ask if she could actually Would kill something. Would not surprise me. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, so that's really they weird. They always that... seem to want the women to be very fragile unless they were, you know, demons or mostly slayers. slayers. Yeah. Which is an interesting show that sort of has this crux of female empowerment. Well, because, I mean, here's, like, the problem, and uh, as much as I love this show and the feminist bent to it, this was not meant to be a feminist show. This was a show meant to deconstruct um, horror tropes. And it just yeah. so happened that the horror trope happened to be a misogynist one. It was Joss. Yeah. Joss wasn't trying to be feminist. He was trying to be clever. Mm-hmm. Although reading comments, because I was actually reading comments about the show and, and this episode in general, after the fact, he like suddenly was throwing in that he, that there were feminist reasons through it all the way through. And I, I agree with you. I don't think there were. At the time. No. Um, mm-hmm. But now, of course, he's he's sort of like retconning everything to make it sound like he was just so much more enlightened. Than oh, that's Joss. Yeah. It's I mean, Joss. for something like Xena, yeah. I mean, you always had women that were fighting and there weren't, I mean, and again, like, because mm. it was concurrent, I mean, you had two main characters who were always doing something, even when they didn't have the power necessarily. They were still bashing people over the head or breaking uh, pottery or trying to do something. And yeah. it did actually bother me that, that Willow was standing there very passively doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the show yeah. does get better, but I think it's still trying to find its feminist feet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Joss is, mm-hmm. I, you know, I adore Joss. I love his writing. I love his, but you know. He's not without his problems. Now, his new commercial for Planned Parenthood is really great, and so I oh, want to give him yeah. ups for that, but, Definitely. you know. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. It's really good. It's good. I mean, it's very short, but it's like, I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. Joss actually directed something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like four minutes long, but, you know. Okay. Um, Question from somebody who actually doesn't know, because I'm not that cognizant of the whole, like, who was working with. When did people like Marnie Knoxon and... Uh, this Jane season. Et cetera, okay, so, this season, so it's yeah. mostly guys working on the show at this point? Yeah, I think or, I think at this mm-hmm. point, um, at uh, during season two, that's when we start to get uh, Marty and Jane. And uh, um, I mean, let me take a quick look uh, to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I know Marty too. came on in this season at the very least. Jane, and I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure I'm Jane pretty did. Sure Jane did. She. It might be season three with Jane. Um, okay, so um, Marty's first episode is going to be "What's My Line." Yeah. Part one and two, and then let me Google Jane Aspenson, who's one of my favorites. I adore her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there'll also be Rebecca Rand. Uh, Rebecca Rand Kirshner, I don't Kirshner. think comes in until later. Um, yeah, no. Look, okay, so Jane's first episode Dan is Bandy. Band yeah, I thought that might be it. Yeah, yeah. no. For the most That's part, not. it seems like Marty is um, the the female writer who comes in in this season, but she's kind of all over this season. If you actually look at, and I mean, we'll be going through each episode and I'll mention who writes everyone, but um, she, she wrote a ton of them. Unfortunately, some of them were not so good. Uh <laughs> Yeah, she's the only female writer yeah, in this um, season. Yeah, because that, I think that will have an effect on it. So that's what I was saying. If it's like dude fest at the, the, that moment in time, yeah. it's kind of question. I mean, obviously they just didn't see it. And it's also the 90s. So, yeah. you know, things were mm-hmm. questionable back then. I mean, not that they aren't now. Yeah. But. And as, as we yeah. get to later seasons, there eventually will be a point where it's almost parody in terms of um, uh, female to male writers. Um, uh, cause they did, 
uh, in seasons like three and four, they do get more female writers that came in. And the female writers that come on tend to stay around while a lot of the male writers will fall away. Uh, they will stay on for like a season and then go off. Um, so. You know, I think by about season three and season four, they've got a really good staple yeah. of stable. I'm sorry. Of recurring writers. Yeah. I mean, we start you know. to see that in this season, but it's still not quite to the level that we'll get for season three. Yeah, because you won't get Petrie on until season yeah. three. Oh, I love Petrie. Um, and I love Drew Goddard. Yeah. And then you will lose Greenwald to Amy. Yeah. Uh, but he's right. still around in season three. Um, but I'm glad so. to see that we've reversed this ratio for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We love you, David. You're our little <laughs> unicorn man. <laughs> Meaning, like, a good dude. Well, thank you. <laughs> that are hard to find sometimes, so. It's good to have that perspective yeah. on it a little bit, yeah. too. So Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so, last thoughts on uh, when she was bad. Meh? Well, it's an episode. It is. It's, a, it's an opening episode. <laughs> it's reintroducing everybody. It's an opening episode. Yeah. And, and, and all the concepts, again, I think that's what you were saying earlier about how, you know, the opening season openers are never that great. But I think part of it is because, especially for this season, they're just, they have to kind of reintroduce you to everything that's going yeah. on and, and what's happened before. So mm-hmm. it's not a bad story. It's just that we know now that there's so much more potential, no pun intended, um, for future <laughs> you know, future episodes and future seasons. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. I don't tend to skip this one if I'm doing a rewatch. This is oh, I do. This is not one that mm-hmm. you know I feel is so bad that I just cannot watch it ever again. But mm-hmm. it's, but I mean, the main reason I watch it is because I like the Chibomato performance, right? Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's got a cool musical performance, therefore you can't miss it. Yeah, I, I, for me, it's, I mean, there's a lot to like here. There's a lot, a lot of bits. There's a lot of great dialogue, but. Overall, it's a workmanlike episode. Yeah. It does what it needs to do, but it doesn't do a whole lot more than that. I think there's a lot of missed potential in this episode, and I want <laughs> Buffy to deal with her trauma. I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think for the first episode of your second season, there could have been, I think, maybe a little more of the lightness. Like, I'm not saying make it like, I don't know jazz hands we'll get that later but yeah um you know and everything sunny and bright and wonderful deal with some of the things but i, I, I yeah it's a misstep mm-hmm. for yeah. me mm-hmm. and this is one that i don't re-watch very yeah. often if i want shibomato i just listen to sugar water and it's mm-hmm. great for me i uh, well see that's i i tend to have a different viewpoint not just as the episode in parts but overall just because you that seems an appropriate way for like a teenager to deal with their trauma. They're not very emotionally mm-hmm. mature. No, they're gonna, right. you know, behave recklessly and mm-hmm. over sexually, and and they'll push away their friends and they'll be mean. And that's just because you know I've seen it, you know, in my personal mm-hmm. life. So I, I don't know if it was due to immature writing or careless writing or it was absolutely intentional. Mm-hmm. But for me, it works. It's definitely not an episode I skip yeah. either. The other problem with it, and again, it's and again because it's an opening episode and happened a lot. Is you have this cliffhanger, you had her dying. And coming back and you have to actually you know reference it you have to deal with it but mm-hmm. timing wise maybe it wasn't always the greatest thing to have her dying at the end of the season and then having to rework everything you know coming in again next uh, at the opener mm-hmm. and they do it twice and I'm, I'm i'm curious if part of the reason that we're being very met on this episode 
is that we're watching everything just like one after the other. Because originally people would have come to this after a break. And we're we're sort of like, we just watched Prophecy Girl. No, 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 no. We did not just watch Prophecy Girl. We just watched the movie. So we should have an even more favorable opinion of this. Well, no, no, okay, no, no, no. But I mean, I mean, we we just recently watched Prophecy Girl. I mean, we we watched Prophecy Girl in the last couple of weeks. Fair enough. And so, like, coming to this after having just recently seen Prophecy Girl, Mm. it's very much a drop in quality, comparatively. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, David. But I do remember when... I was so excited that Buffy was getting a second season. Mm-hmm. I had it set up to record on my yeah. VCR. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being disappointed. Okay. Like, I was excited it was back, but I remember being like, I- I've never liked this episode yeah. much. So, um, the, this season with does break. take a couple episodes, aka three, mm-hmm. to find its feet. Um, yeah. Um, so, I have some quick little facts for this episode. So, um, this episode on the original airing had 2.9 million people watching it but actually when they repeated it it scored higher it had 3.1 million Mm -hmm. people watching it and i think that's probably because when they repeated it uh it would have been around like the middle of the season when buff that was when buffy really started to take off as like the buffy phenomenon Mm -hmm. this is the first episode where david boreanaz is credited in the main credits uh, mm-hmm. So he has uh, ascended, um, and obviously, <laughs> uh, he, uh, that will be something that will carry through him being on his own show. This is the um, this episode starts the tradition of uh, the season premieres uh, uh, start starting in cemeteries, right? Uh, and and this is the first time that anybody attempts to raise a vampire from the dead and uh, the vampires in this really should have called Wolfman Hart because they're the ones <laughs> that always do it other it. times and they're always yeah. fucking successful mm-hmm. yeah which is interesting because Giles specifically says that he's unaware of a revivica- revivication ritual ever being successful well to be fair i mean wolfman hart doesn't do it until um uh season the season one finale of uh angel to shanshu mm-hmm. in la so they don't right. know if one is successful yet and it's the senior partners who are doing it and the senior partners yeah. are basically old right. ones so yeah it's just interesting that like giles seems to say there's never been a successful one and then all of a sudden as soon as he says that we start having potentially or actually successful Yeah, but Giles doesn't... I mean, I think the council doesn't even know how much Wolfram and Hart can do because they keep everything super private. Andy, Um, Andy, are you saying something negative about Giles? She's saying something negative about the Watchers. (laughs) Right, they're just keeping him in the dark. Yes, I'm saying something negative. No, I'm saying that Giles doesn't have all the information he needs to make uninformed comments. Giles is perfect. <laughs> I'm obsessed. Did I, I, just wanted to make sh- I wanted to make sure you were still on the same page about Giles. That's all. Always and forever. <laughs> okay. okay. More facts? Uh, yes. I think I might be done on facts. Um, uh, except, except for the title of this episode. 
Uh, the title, uh, When She Was Bad, was derived from a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And, it's, and when mm-hmm. she was good, she was very, very good. And when she was bad, she was horrid. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. And, of course, there's the Mae West version of that is when she was uh, uh, she was very good. And when she was bad, she was even better. But we will not go there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think that really applies to Buffy. I guess my, I, I again, very, very narrow focus and nitpicking um during the opening credits the during with the the with the theme song and everything the shot of buffy firing the crossbow mm-hmm. has a sound effect huh I didn't and i yeah i don't remember that yeah no it kind of stood out because i was listening to the the nerf herder music and then there's this from the crossbow <laughs> yeah, and i'm always like been a whoosh has there I don't, I don't know about the first it. season, but the second season, because when my friends and I would sit around and watch this together, we would all go, Woo! <laughs> Okay. Okay. Because well, that, that was the thing. It's like, I don't remember it from the first season. I don't and, think it was in the first season, but. And so, okay. So maybe it continues from here, but I, this is the first time I noticed it. So. I never noticed it. So thank you, David. Yeah. We would, we would do the whoosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> Just end on that. Just end on that. <laughs> okay. Yes. Then with that, um, <laughs> next next time we'll be reviewing some assembly required. So until then, grr, arg, grr, arg, grr, arg. <laughs> We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast, and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube at Return to the Hellmouth, on Tumblr and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at HellmouthReturn, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our shows at iTunes and Stitcher. Also check out MC's YouTube channel. See you on Tuesday for some assembly required. Grr. Arg.